Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. If you've been listening this morning, you already know this is a big day at WITF. For the ninth consecutive year, WITF, Wegmans, and the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank are joining together for a special one-day campaign to raise awareness and provide meals for those in need. On today's Smart Talk, we probe how many Central Pennsylvanians are not food secure and what can be done to provide them with food. Joining us on today's program is Jennifer Powell, who's Director of Development with the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank. Ms. Powell, welcome to the program. Thank you. Also joining us is Bob Finn, who is the store manager at Wegmans in Mechanicsburg. Mr. Finn, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. If you have a question or a comment, now this is a different number than what you call in, and we'll give that number throughout the day if you'd like to call in and contribute. Uh, but this is obviously a different number. This is our Smart Talk number, 1-800-729-7532. If you have a question or a comment, about hunger, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at org. You know, I'm just going to kind of separate the conversations from this morning. You know, we, we may have people just tuning in and talk about the issue of hunger and hunger in central Pennsylvania in particular, uh, a little bit different than what, what we did this morning. But you know, Jennifer, I have to say that pr- there probably are many people out there that think in this day and age, and when we keep hearing the numbers are improving as far as jobs and uh, the economy getting back to normal or what it was like before 2007, 2008, that there are a lot of people out there hungry. And I saw something this morning that said that we probably have more hungry people in central Pennsylvania than we've ever had before at least, you know, in recent years, contemporary times. You know, are all those things accurate? Well, you use the word food insecure. Okay. And um, so when you when you think of hungry, that connotation is like, you know, I'm scratching at the door. I need, you know, hunger. Right. But food insecurity really is um, lacking the access to enough nutritious food to live a healthy um Good life. So um, in central Pennsylvania, we see nearly 65,000 individuals we touch through our 900 program partners each week. And these are folks that are food insecure, so they lack access. So they may live in a food desert, a place, a location where there is um, not a grocery store nearby. Um, they may be a senior and a shut-in and not able to have access to food. So it's, it's a little bit different than what we might have thought of with people being hungry in the past. It really is uh, a lot about access. Yeah, and, and words in this case, it seems as though they're very important in how we describe this because I think that, the, again, there are many people that probably get an image in their heads that if you say the hunger, you said you talked about scratching at the door, but there probably are many other people who think, well, when you're talking, uh, you know, describing people who don't have enough to eat, you're talking about homeless people. You're talking about people who have lost jobs. Now, that's part of it, but it's not the major part of it, is it? No, it's not. It is It is families. We're seeing families who, you know, are now working maybe two part-time jobs and just not having enough money to last throughout the month to uh, pay for their food. We're talking children, children in schools who are not uh, eating breakfast um, or not eating lunch or when school ends, not having a summer program that provides meals. So it's it's not what 
we thought of in years past, you know, not your your father's food bank or not the food bank of the past. These are families. These are children. Uh, these are seniors. These are, are, are people that um, just are struggling to put, put food on the table or through situation, like a child being in a family that's food insecure, just don't have a choice. I mentioned the Great Recession of 2008. Uh, is it true that many of these families that are clients at the, the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank in your 27 counties that just haven't recovered from that uh, financial meltdown? A- absolutely. It, it, it really is. Um, so, you know, families that were able to support themselves, again, you know, their wages have been cut or their hours have been cut. So it, it's kind of, you know, you see this recovery in general, but um, but these are folks that just, just haven't recovered and just haven't been able to make up for, uh, for the recession. You know, I'm curious, are you able to tell how healthy the economy is by the number of people that uh, you're serving? So uh, I'm not the statistician, right, but, uh, I understand. I understand. but uh, my boss, actually, uh, Joe Arthur, really does look at all of those um, those components, you know, that we might think that the the unemployment level and, and some of those other numbers that come out demonstrate that um, we are we're all good and everything's, you know, kind of getting back to normal. But for the most vulnerable folks that really were hit hard, they're still struggling. Mm. Uh, so I want to bring uh, Bob Finn into the conversation. Bob, you enjoy doing this every year, don't you? I do, actually. I know, I, I know you do, because mm-hmm. I've talked to you before. Bob has been on, as I said, this is a big day at uh, WITF, and Bob has been on Smart Talk several times, has been on the air. And when I see you a couple times a year off the air, I we always talk about it. And I, y- you enjoy it as much as we do, right? I, I do. This is one of those days where we know that what we're doing is actually doing twice as much good. We're, um, we're getting money coming into WITF, which is fantastic, but we're also feeding the hungry by uh, by getting that food to the people who need it the most. Well, let's talk about uh, Wegman's role in this. Um, we're going to be talking, and we have been already, about uh, you know food being matched for contributions uh, to WITF. But overall, why does Wegman get involved in, uh, in providing food to the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank and to those who are in need? Well, we're a grocery store, so our, our business is feeding the hungry, um, when, you, when you look at it that way. But we also uh, we run on a set of values, and one of those values is making a difference in every community in which we operate. And then if you look at our priorities, one of our giving priorities <coughs> is to feed those in need, to feed the, feed the hungry. So, um, you know, putting a lot of things together, we know that uh, we have some stats that over 40% of the food in this country that's produced never makes it into people's mouths. It goes into landfills or it gets, you know, used for 40%. something other. 40%. Wow. 40%. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's fine. It's our goal to make sure none of that goes into a landfill. So we, we have programs in place where we're any any food that is edible, that is that is okay, maybe not necessarily okay to be sold at, at full retail, but we make sure it gets into the, uh, the right hands. So we work with uh, food banks. In every state we operate in, um, we we actually work with about 350 different organizations to make sure that they are collecting anything that we have and make sure it gets to the right places. What kind of food are we talking about? I mean, because when we, you know, we use the term Mm non-perishable, and I think that there are so many people that right away they go to canned goods. That's all we're talking about. 
Um, it's a little bit of everything. It, it is a lot of canned goods, a lot of box goods, dry foods, non-perishable foods. That's a big part of it. Um, the perishable end of it gets a little tougher because you need to keep the cold chain. You need to make sure that food stays safe. But it's a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer, you've been on our, our program before, and uh, we, we talked at that time about uh, providing dairy products, yes. uh, fresh milk, to uh, a lot of your clients. But you know, just following up on what Bob was saying and something you mentioned earlier, and that is that it's just not food for the sake of filling someone's belly, if I could put it in, in those terms. You said healthy, nutritious food. Why is that important? an important part of this? And that's, that is kind of a different mission than years ago with a food bank. Scott, I thank you so very much for asking that question. Um, our strategy at the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank has to has been to uh, increase our ability to provide fresh produce, fresh fruits and vegetables, fresh milk, even that center of the plate protein meat. Uh, we don't want to just provide empty calories. We, we don't want it to be just filling tummies. Um, we want to make sure that we are contributing to the overall health and well-being of our community. So it, it really, again, I go back to it wasn't, it's not your father's food bank. It's not the day of dented cans and day-old bread. I mean, we are really looking to help with that, uh, the, the issue of waste and, um, you know, taking that maybe ugly vegetable that might not be uh, appropriate for retail, but just as beautiful and wholesome as as the one that that is and providing that to those in need. And um, so we have increased our fresh produce distribution and now about 20% of what we send out to individuals in need is fresh produce. Um, We are looking to, you know, increase that by, I think, doubling um, over the next 10 years and really having it look like a, a normal American consumer's uh, grocery cart, you know, with, with vegetables and, and protein and, and also then some of the, the, uh, the, the non-perishables. But we really are, are really trying to shift that perspective, even with donations that we receive, that, that we really want to be a part of community health and the connection of food and health and food and well-being and community well-being. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by the Pinnacle Health Women's Cancer Center, delivering preventive, diagnostic, surgical, medical, and chemotherapy services to women with gynecologic cancer or other conditions related to the reproductive systems. More information is available at pinnaclehealth.org WCC. This is a significant day at WITF. We do this once a year where we partner with the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank and Wegmans to uh, raise money and uh, provide a trailer full of food for those in need, those who are hungry, those who are food insecure. And during Smart Talk, we, we talk about uh, just what the situation is and why certain things are happening. And that's what we're doing right now with Jennifer Powell, <coughs> Director of Development at the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank, and Bob Finn, store manager at Wegmans in Mechanicsburg. If you have a question about hunger, 
people in need, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, the phone number is 1-800-729-7532. You know, I know I ask this question every year, but I will ask it again. We're in early November. Um, Does the time of year have anything to do with us you know, doing this in in November. I mean, just before the holidays, just before the weather gets uh, the weather gets colder. Well, I I think the time of year maybe doesn't matter so much as far as hunger goes, because when people are hungry or they're food insecure, it in August yeah, or it's year in round. December, yeah. exactly. But I think it's it's more important this time of year because I think people are more prone to giving. You know, I think right now, um, this time of year, people are opening up their wallets. They're getting ready to buy that turkey, to buy those Christmas presents, and they're spending money. Um, so I think it's the time of year that people are more generous. Mm-hmm. So it's almost a, like a psychological thing. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you do hear uh, in, you know, a lot of different um, organizations that are trying to help people uh, who are less fortunate this time of year. I wish we would do it all, all, year, all year round. And I think that, you know, I know the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank that you, you do do that uh, all year round. So um, I want to get back to, you know, some of the th- things that you had said earlier, Jennifer. And I think that this is one of the key reasons where really this should be something to make people think. You know, you don't necessarily have a typical client, but you mentioned that children are especially at risk now. From the numbers I've seen, you pro- the majority of the people you do serve are kids, right? Our kids, yes. Actually, th- about 30% um, are children. And uh, we partake in a, na- a study that our national organization, Feeding America, uh, conducts, and we are able to ascertain these demographics. But we also are then able to layer on poverty rates and school um, free and reduced lunch eligibility rates and have come to... Uh, the 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 number that that nearly thirty percent of our our uh, folks in central Pennsylvania are children and our children that are food insecure, and then on the other end of the, of the the age group, I see that uh, you have almost as many or almost as high a percentage, maybe it is as high as percentage of people over the age of fifty. Yes, absolutely. Seniors is the other, and um, so we try to balance both both of those um, those demographics with. Uh, our Elder Share Senior Box Program, which uh, we deliver to uh, senior centers and senior housing complexes each month that um, has, you know, a, a special specific diet that comes to us uh, from the Commodity Supplemental Food Program. It's a government program. Uh, but then we also supplement that ourselves to provide for additional seniors that are in need. And uh, we also have uh, backpack programs and kids', kids cafe yeah. programs and have really uh, started something in the last year and a half with um, an initiative to get more kids eating breakfast. So we noticed that there were a number of children that were eligible for for breakfast, but not eating it. And so some studies were done that uh, if a school would adopt an alternative breakfast model, say a breakfast after the bell or a grab-and-go, more kids were eating. And more ki- the more kids that were eating, the more kids that were doing better. And now, I, I don't want to say these are, are totally 100% um, stats that we have confirmed, but we are doing some initial studies with some schools in Lancaster. And Lincoln Middle School is a school that adopted an alternative breakfast model. And their breakfast uh, program is up 70%. 
and their school suspension rate is down 50%. So again, we're still looking at all of the, the components of that, but when I know myself, you know, mid-morning you get a little, you know, hangry or hungry or, you know, um, annoyed if you maybe didn't have breakfast. Um, and so children that were, you know, really just maybe needed to have something to eat were acting out or needing to go to the nurse or having a focus issue. Uh, so I really am, am anxious and excited to continue looking at these these studies and these correlations. You just talked about, uh, you know, the schools that offer free breakfast, free lunch. Do you work with, within those programs? Or are you somehow uh, related to them? Or Because I was under the impression that that was just something that the school district offered. Yeah, no, we do not provide. Okay. Um, so it is okay. the school district that provides. But the school, the school district and actually down to each school building um, is responsible to implement uh, a breakfast program. And the type of program that they implement is really very um, specific to that school or that school district. So we've been working to educate, um, educate the schools, educate, <laughs> educate the schools on, you know, just maybe, again, something a little different, not the traditional tray in the, you know, six o'clock in the morning um, style. Have that after the bell. So the kids are in the classroom, t- the teacher's taking attendance, and they can, you know, eat their breakfast, their granola bar, their, their, uh, their, their milk, and um, just have really seen schools that have done that, seen an increase in um, participation and also then decrease in some of those other behaviors. Yeah, I was curious what grab-and-go was. Yeah, grab-and-go. So so grab-and-go, you have sort of like a kiosk in the the common area, and so kids can just grab it and then go into class or go into um, the, the auditorium or something so they can just grab it and go. Things have changed since I was a kid. I mean, it used to be, uh, Bob, that, uh, you know, you, you, you chewed gum and, and, the, and the teacher would say, do you have enough for everyone? Yeah. Now, uh, now you're eating meals in <laughs> classrooms. That's, that's right. Yeah. And you're sharing and, and everything else. Is that based, uh, you know, the school lunch programs and school breakfast programs are, are based on poverty rates, correct? Correct. Okay. And you had talked about uh, that a little bit earlier. Where does poverty come into play here with who is eligible as a client for the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank? Well, um, with our particular programs, we um, have individuals complete a self-declaration form. Uh, so uh, a person will self-declare that they are in need, and all of the food that we, we provide um, are to those in need. So that is the sort of checks and balances that, that's done, and so we keep all of that, those records. Um, but uh, you can see from school districts where the, the poverty rate goes into effect based on the number of children that are eligible for the free and reduced lunch program like we talked about. But um, poverty, hunger's a symptom of poverty, and so uh, the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank has, you know, really gone um, above and beyond with our mission. We, our mission is fighting hunger, improving lives, and strengthening communities. And the improving lives and strengthening communities is just as important as that fighting hunger. So we've been involved and um, and worked on various coalitions. We've been integral with the governor's uh, blueprint. Our uh, executive director was on that um, task force, and are really looking to to improve our community and and shift 
that focus. Again, fresh produce, nutrition, the the um, connection between food and health, and really being a part of that conversation and sitting at that table. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer, you uh, you were a client of the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank, and uh, I wanted to make sure I asked ahead of time if you wanted to talk about it, but to talk about your own situation. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm very passionate about the work that, that we do at the food bank. Uh, you know, as a as a young single mother, I was uh, the victim of domestic violence. I am now a survivor of domestic violence. I uh, lived in a shelter and um, needed to utilize the uh, programs of the food bank. And um, I remember standing in that line and um, waiting for that box of heavy, non-perishable cans. And, you know, at that time, just really not sure of where my life was going to be or what I was going to be doing, but knowing at least that I had something to eat, that I could prepare a meal for for myself and my child. And, you know, so the generosity of strangers to see someone who doesn't know any of the folks that we're serving or doesn't know me contributing to these programs, making sure that they continue, um, just really touches my heart so very personally and and also is one of the reasons why we are so committed and I am so committed to increasing the healthy nutrition and and really looking at uh, the food bank in a very different way. Mm. Well, it sounds like it was a difficult period in your life. And uh, uh, I mean, it's it, I hate to make it sound so dramatic and all that, but uh, uh, is it something that without this assistance, who knows what would have happened? You know, uh, Scott, absolutely. I mean, there were many programs and many people and many um, angels that touched my life um, through that particular time. But but the food bank and being able to know that I had food was um, was definitely something that takes away one of the layers or the 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 burden that's on your shoulder. So um, there were other situations that were going on, and again, other other programs that that provided um, assistance and and support. Uh, but knowing that you didn't have to worry about where your food was coming from really does take away just one level or one one piece of that weight. Do you have a son or a daughter? Well, now I have I have three. Okay. Um, it was a son then. I have a son and two daughters now. So at the time, and this goes back to what you had said earlier about families, is that uh, there probably are a lot of parents who would w- be willing to go without to make sure that their kids get to eat. Absolutely. That's that's one of the coping strategies is that a parent will go without or they'll water down or they'll try to give to their child first. And then, you know, they're not operating at full capacity. And it ends up turning into just a vicious cycle because they're not able to deal with their children in a, an effective way. And so, of course, you know, we want to give to our kids first. And, and, you know, we see that firsthand. You know, I don't like to throw out a lot of numbers because this is a personal thing for many people. And we all have probably witnessed it uh, firsthand. But I do look at some of these numbers and I think to myself that like almost a third of the people that uh, the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank works with choose between food and medication. Uh, a little more than that, choose between food and paying their utilities. Um, 99% have permanent housing. We were talking earlier about many people thinking that it's uh, you know just homeless people, but 99% have permanent housing. But 28% have to decide between their mortgage, their rent, and buying food. 
I mean, those numbers are just really startling. I hate to throw out numbers because we're talking about human beings and it's, you know, numbers don't do them justice, but that kind of brings it home with some of these things. Scott, th- those are the trade-offs people have to make, you know, and, and that's that's the sad thing about it is, is people have to make those hard decisions um, in order to either feed their family or feed themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to be talking with Tim Lambert here in just a moment, but uh, Bob Finn, uh, you know, as I said earlier, and I was joking with you a little bit about I know how much you enjoy this, but what message do you would you like to leave with our audience today on this very special day? Uh, well, first of all, um, call in and make your pledge today. I think that's uh, the most important message for right now. Um, but just in general, you know, I talked earlier about Wegmans donating this trailer. I, I'd, I'd be remiss to, to not thank our customers. We do pledge drives each year. We do a checkout hunger campaign. We've done fill the bus campaigns. And when we do these these things, um, our customers and the community really, really steps up and, and makes it happen. We've collected over $30 million in our um, Checkout Hunger campaign since, um, since 1993. And that's not us. We're just the vehicle. We're just the conduit. It's the people in the community that really step up to help each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jennifer, last word? Well, I, I, you mentioned a, a double win. I think it's a triple win. I, I mean, you know, for Wegmans and, f- of course, for the Food Bank and WITF. But if it wasn't through the generosity of, of corporations and businesses to really step up to the plate and uh, make these contributions and these donations, um, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So we're just so very thankful to Wegmans and, of course, to our, our good friends at WITF. Jennifer Powell is the Director of Development for the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank. Bob Finn, store manager of Wegmans in Mechanicsburg. Thank both of you for being with us today. Thank you, Scott. Hopefully I don't have to wait till next year to see you. Okay. <laughs> that sounds good. Thank you I very like much. <laughs> and now we're joined by WITF's Multimedia News Director, Tim Lambert, on this very special day. And, Tim, I was talking to Bob and Jennifer about how much we enjoy this, but we do look forward to this every day. Yeah, WITF. it's a shame that we've been doing this nine years in a row. You would think that uh, by this point, hopefully, we would uh, stamp out hunger. But uh, here we are, and this is the best uh chance for you to make a contribution and make sure that uh, the meals get into the hands of the people that need them most with that contribution of $100. That means 40 meals will go out to people in need. $200 means 80 meals will go out. Uh, If it's just a $25 contribution, that means 10 meals. So go to WITF.org, make that contribution, or call 1-800-233-9483. I was checking Twitter, Scott, and one of our listeners had tweeted out, this is what they wait for each year. This is their favorite fun drive, and they made their contribution. I, so. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. we all appreciate something like that. Well, that that's that's good to hear. Yeah. So, uh, Tim, how are we doing so far? I mean, uh, you know, when we're, we're talking, I know I well, know we have in, a lot of people who have uh, who have called in. In the last, uh, just before we were talking, we crossed the eleven thousand dollar mark. Forty five hundred meals so far towards our goal of seventeen thousand. So just twelve thousand four hundred eighty six meals to go to reach our goal today at some point. The sooner the better, I think. But uh, we'd love to hear from you with that contribution. And uh, I've touched on this a little bit this morning. This is a chance where your your contribution really makes an impact. Is You know, you would write a check to various nonprofits at this time of year, especially the holidays are coming up, the end of year. So you're, you're thinking about making contributions and you send those checks off. And those organizations do great work with that money. But right now, the money you contribute 
goes directly into helping someone. That meal will be going out to somebody as soon as Wegmans loads the truck up and sends it out. So that $100 contribution means 40 meals will be going on the tables of people in need in central Pennsylvania. And you can't get much more impactful than that. And you'll be supporting public radio as an aside to that. So 1-800-233-9483 or go online to WITF.org. Tim Lambert, WITF's Multimedia News Director. Tim will be talking in uh, just a few more minutes. Absolutely. Okay. And uh, there is a lot going on today. <laughs> One of the things, they, it's, it's such a big story today, the, the World Series last night with Chicago Cubs winning their first title in over 100 years. But uh, one of the other sports stories that we wanted to discuss today uh, was the Penn State Nittany Lions. Go ahead. Let's get, I need to get the guest in there so I can talk to him. Uh, uh, but anyway, just over a month ago, when Penn State's football team was dominated by Michigan 49-10 to and had a two-win, two-loss record, many were speculating that the Nittany Lions may not win another game and coach James Franklin could be fired. Since then, Penn State has won four straight, is ranked in college football's top 25 for the first time in five years, and could be looking at a top-tier New Year's Day bowl game. Now, what prompted this turnaround? Joining us today is Greg Pickle, who is Penn, a Penn State reporter for Penn Live and the Patriot News. Greg, thanks for joining us today. Morning, Scott. Good to be with you. And if you'd like to talk sports, you can give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. We don't often talk about sports on uh, Smart Talk, but we have a couple uh, big sports issues. Greg, before we do get into Penn State and yep. talking about the turnaround, just have to talk about that World Series Game we do. 7 last night because that was just incredible. Now, I've been around a lot longer than you have, but I have to say that was one of the most exciting baseball games, any sporting event I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it really was, Scott. It had everything a Game 7 of a World Series should have. You know, there was dramatic every inning. We had a little bit of a rain delay. You know, everything was... The, all the ingredients were there for an epic game, and it was. It was uh, going to be remembered for a long time, of course, I think. And, you know, one city is reveling this morning and one is not. But it was certainly everything it was built up to be before it started. Yeah, you uh, you, you had mentioned to me that, uh, you know, covering Penn State, covering the Big Ten, that you run into a lot of people in the Midwest. Yep. Uh, and we know that the Cubs have a huge following anyway. WGN with their games on WGN, which goes across the Cubs. I think we're going to see a lot more Cubs fans yes. out there. <laughs> yeah, just a few. I think there'll be a couple hundred more than there were last night this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, give the Indians credit, too. I mean, they hadn't won a, won a title since 1948. Cubs hadn't won since uh, 1908. And uh, I'm really kind of surprised that uh, I saw on TV this morning that uh, there were people still hanging outside Wrigley Field. Yep. I'm surprised that more people went home last night because Chicago uh, really, really after... And it couldn't come at a better, better time for Major League baseball. But, all right, I want to talk to uh, Penn State. We've done this a few times throughout the season just to make sure that uh, you know there are so many people in this region or listening area that are big Penn State fans. Yep. As I mentioned, the last time we talked about it, it was they were 2-2, two and two, had just lost to Michigan big time, maybe the worst loss during the James Franklin era. Four games in a row they've won since. The big win over then number two Ohio State. What happened? 
Well, where do we start? I mean, I think that when you talk to the kids that are on the team, a lot of them point back to that Pittsburgh game, and they discovered that even though they didn't play really well at all, uh, except for the fourth quarter, they discovered that they could come back in games and that this was a team that was going to be able to build something in each second half. So you've seen that now against Minnesota, against Maryland, against Ohio State, of course, and then against Purdue, a team that it should not have been 17-17 with at halftime, and suddenly Penn State wins by about 40 points. So what it comes down to, I think, is that they realized a couple things. Obviously, that ability to come back in the second half. Also, that they weren't necessarily as worse talent-wise as some of these top teams as maybe some thought they were, as maybe they thought they were. You know, I think there was a really a realization after they went to Michigan, realized what really, really good looks like. And they came home and looked at the film, Scott, and said, you know, we lost by a lot at Michigan, but we were with a handful, uh, without our handful of linebackers, rather, without some other guys on offense. And, you know, maybe we're not as far away from those guys as that score indicates. So they go out, they grind to beat Minnesota. And I think the season goes the other way, Scott, if they lose to Minnesota, if they don't come back and, and find a way to win that game. I think the season goes the other way. Instead, they beat the Golden Gophers. Then they go out and pound Maryland, really, in one of the better performances of the year get a bye week, beat Ohio State, beat Purdue, suddenly here we are talking about the Rose Bowl. It's hard to believe. So what you're saying is that you think that confidence has a great deal to do with this. Yeah, and I don't think it was necessarily an unconfident team going into the season or after the Pittsburgh game. I I just think that, you know, James Franklin, the head coach of the Lions, of course, made a pretty interesting point going into, uh, or coming out of rather the Michigan game. He said that, you know, there's a big difference level between a talent of top five teams and everybody else. And, you know, it was a little bit of foreshadowing, actually, because he said you can be ranked 24, 20, you know, 15, and you'll have a lot of talent. And obviously Penn State ranked 12 in the college football poll, 20 in the AP poll, you know. 12 this week. We'll explain that in just a minute, but go ahead. But they are ranked for the first time in five years. So, you know, he's talking about this whole idea of being ranked and being talented, but not maybe having as much talent as the top five teams, even if you are ranked. And at that point, who would have thought Penn State would even be ranked, you know. But he's talking about this whole idea that, you know, you're not even though you're not as talented as them, you know, you still might be close. And I think that's what Penn State realized when they got home and watched that game again. They said, maybe we're not so far off. You know, maybe we're a couple missed blocks away from this being a game. Maybe we're a couple healthy linebackers away from beating Ohio State, which has turned out to be the case. So I do think that, you know, they sort of figured things out a little bit. And, you know, once Joe Moore had got his offense rolling and, and the defense got some healthy guys back, it was really the key that they needed. Well, let's talk about some individual players and individual positions on the field. You've talked about this uh, several times now that, you know, they were down to like their eighth string, you know, string, okay, eighth linebacker uh, because of injuries in their linebacking crew. It's hard to put a team on the field. And years past with the NCAA sanctions, depth was a real problem. So, you know, the good thing here is that some of those younger players got an opportunity to play. But they weren't on a talent level or at least experience level with uh, the, the kids like the, the, the Jason Cabindas, the, the Brandon Bells, people yep. like that who had played over the years. All right, so there's one thing. Last couple of years under James Franklin, the offensive line has just been awful. I don't know whether, yep. what other way to describe it. That, but, you know, with Christian Hackenberg, who was coming out of high school, was probably the number one or number two ranked quarterback coming out of high school, had a lot of talent, but just couldn't do anything behind that offensive line. Trace McSorley takes over. Not as talented as Hackenberg, a quarterback, but there's something there. 
Saquon Barkley, the uh, running back, obviously one of the most talented running backs in the country. All right, so just those things, yep. what's the difference been? Uh, I think for the thing with McSorley, Scott, it's something that you and I can't do well, and that's run. You know, he is able to run away <laughs> hey, from— speak for yourself, man. That's right. I will speak for myself. But, you know, he's a guy that, that is able to get away from a pass rush so much better than Christian Hackenberg could. He's obviously a, a little bit smaller guy. He's a little bit more agile, and he's willing to leave the pocket. You know, I think one of the biggest— things in this Penn State four-game winning streak going on, uh, you know, going into trying to get a fifth here is that they've been able to to neutralize opponents because they can do two things. They don't turn the ball over and they run away when things are going poorly. You know, Saquon Barkley, is he going to take a loss of two or is he going to take a loss of 12? In the beginning of the season, he was taking 12. Now he's taking two and that set up some of the big plays. You know, you think of back to some of the long plays that Penn State has had, the Irvin Charles catch against Minnesota that went for a touchdown. You know, before that, you know, just that play in particular, they lost a couple yards, I believe. So, you know, it's just uh, it's doing some things smarter than maybe they were earlier in the year. And with McSorley, it's just a guy that's able to see things downfield. He's gutsy as anyone can be. He's able to look, keep his eyes locked downfield while there's 300 and, you know, 10 pound defensive tackles chasing after him. And that's given Penn State a chance to throw the ball downfield and make plays. They throw the ball downfield more than they did last year. And when you have a guy that's not getting sacked as much because of the offensive line improvement, but also because he's able to run away from defenders, and you're able to get the ball downfield more, the success is just going to come with it. Now, you talk with uh, these players on a, on a regular basis. Tell me about McSorley's personality, because he's been described as a, a leader. But, you know, when I've seen him on television or some of your quotes from him, I mean, he seems kind of like a quiet guy. Yeah. But, but he's also described by James Franklin and others as a real good leader. Yeah, he was asked about being more vocal this week. Uh, during a call with the media. And, and, he, and to his credit and to some of his teammates' credit, they don't try to make it out to be anything that it's not. You know, he'll step up and say something when something needs to be said, but he's more of a guy that's going to lead by example. He's more of a guy that's going to go out there and, you know, take a hit to make a play. He's going to go out there and, you know, dive into a pile of defenders to pick up a fumble and things along those lines. I mean, this is a guy that is just a gamer. You know, he won three state titles in high school. His career, final career record was... 167 and five or something outrageous like that at the high school level. I mean, this guy has been able to win his entire life, and people can get behind that. Kids can get behind that. A football team can get behind that. You know, he's a type of guy that just success just follows him. And I think that what Penn State has found, especially on offense, is that if they just follow him, they'll follow him to success. So he's a quiet kid, though. You're right. He, he's not really going to, you know, if he was on the show here, he wouldn't say a whole lot. The transcript might be 50 words. I, I mean, he just doesn't. He's not going to ever really open up. James Franklin talks about that often, too, that he kept saying he's been waiting for him to open up. He's been waiting for the sort of light bulb to switch. And he said he was talking to Trace McSorley's parents recently, and, you know, they sort of all came to the conclusion that it's just not going to happen. This is just the guy he is. <laughs> I'm curious, uh, and this goes back to Franklin. I'm going to talk about Franklin's future and well, if he has changed at all for, or things have just followed the plan. But, uh, you know, something you just mentioned, I'm, I, you know, I've always wondered about this, uh, how much a coach talks to a player's parents 
after that uh, player has committed to the university, is on the football team, yep. and and is playing. More than you'd think, actually. I mean, I think there's times when, you know, these guys don't necessarily want the coach to talk to their parents because it's for a bad reason. But I think, you know, the way James Franklin runs his program, there's families there all the time, whether they come up, they, the open door for practice, for example, you know, open door on game day. If the parents want to come, they can obviously come home or away. So it probably isn't as much as it might seem, just listening to him talk in a couple different instances. You know, I think it's one of those deals where he mentions it, and, and that may be the one example as to, it, you know, that being the one one example of many so I don't think it's often but you know he's one of the better communicators as a college coach not just with his team but also the families of the kids that he and that's why he recruits so well because he's able to you know convince the families that their kids should come to Penn State and then he's able to convince them that you know while they're at Penn State he will stay in touch with them he will keep them updated and make sure that their son is doing what he needs to do on the football field and in the classroom and and that's one of the reasons you know again that Penn State's recruited so well of late under him let's talk a little bit more about that because uh, you know, and I will talk about the football part in just a moment, win-loss records and whether uh, this is part of the process or part of the plan for James Franklin. But one thing that has been consistent over the Franklin era yep. is that his players have gone to class. I mean, they've done well in the classroom. You have not heard about uh, players getting in trouble for the most part. So that way it seems as though he has recruited character players and that uh, you know the the priorities are in the right place yeah so I think he's always had that so you know when Sandy Barber the athletic director at Penn State felt the need to come out and make a statement of support of him a few weeks ago you know that was one of the things she pointed to and it was almost like you know everything off the field's going well everything in the classroom's going well you know we're setting academic records uh, summer GPA for example the spring GPA for the team uh, you know they're all supposedly record highs so everything was going well in the classroom room for them and everything off the field there wasn't kids getting in trouble yeah you do have a couple yeah but it, it, there'd be it's very rare to find a college football program that doesn't have at least one or two instances yeah, of I off just field issues. interrupt you for a second and kind of uh, promote uh, tomorrow we're going to be talking with bestseller author john krakauer about a book he's written Missoula, which has to do with uh, football players at the university of montana getting in trouble there were a really big scandal this week not it didn't happen this week but more information released from Baylor University yep. about sexual assaults on football from football players on to, to women so you know when Penn State's football program at this point uh, when you're not hearing about players getting in trouble and you're hearing about good grades great good grade point averages that's a good that's good news yeah absolutely so you know, when you go back and look at those those things compared to what Sandy was saying about what they're going to do on the field and that's why she's confident in him because he had that house in order and he had since he got here you know he made a very clear expectation to these kids when he got here that he wasn't going to tolerate off the field stuff and he wasn't going to tolerate academic slip-ups I mean he suspended Garrett Sickles at defensive end for the Ohio State game because he had a chronic class skipping issue. So he suspended him. And they ended up winning. It didn't hurt them. I, I think that decision probably would have been questioned more had they had not beaten Ohio State and he had not played as well as he did. But, you know, they, they always had – he always has had that part of the house in order. It was just about winning some big games and things along those lines, and he's been able to do that now. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guest during this portion of the program is Greg Pickle, who is the Penn State reporter, a Penn State reporter for Penn Live and the Patriot News. We have a few minutes left if you'd like to offer your take on uh, the Penn State season. And, uh, you know, I, I was just telling Greg that uh, some of my coworkers here who aren't necessarily 
uh, Penn State fans were g- giving me a little bit of uh, a hard time this morning when I said that uh, about, about the possibility of going to a New Year's Day bowl. What do you think? 1-800-729-7532 or send an email to smarttalk at org. Before we get back to James Franklin, since I brought that up, yep. uh, you know, this is something that four weeks ago, you know, there were people who were saying Penn State was not going to win another game, or it would be they would be hard pressed to win another game. Now at six and two and ranked in the top twenty-five, you mentioned that number twelve college football playoff ranking, which a lot of people don't quite understand. But now they are looking at a possibility if they continue to win, and they will be favorites probably here on out, that they could be playing in a New Year's Day Bowl. And by that, I don't mean the Rose Bowl, although that's a possibility, but, uh, you know, some other bowls as well. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, Scott. There was a really deep discussion you could have had about whether Penn State was going to be bowl eligible after that Michigan game. I mean, they were sitting there with two wins, and he looked at the rest of the schedule and said, man, are four more wins? You have to have six, of course, to be bowl eligible. And he sat there and said, man, are there four more wins on this schedule? Well, obviously there were. So, yeah, it's a really interesting moving target when you talk about bowl game projections because there's folks that, you know, think Penn State will go to the West Coast to the Holiday Bowl, which is not a New Year's Six Bowl. Then you have the Outback Bowl, of course, the Citrus Bowl. So there's some in play. And with that number 12 ranking, Penn State is now in position that if it wins out to get to one of those committee bowls quite easily if things work out in front of them. So I, I think that what it comes down to is they have a very realistic shot, maybe not the road Bowl, that's about out of the picture, but a New Year's Six Bowl, certainly. And, uh, you know, Outbacks in Tampa, Citrus is in Orlando. That's not bad for, for New Year's Day. No, it's not. Let's go to Gary in Juniata County. Gary, you're on the air. Scott, I was going to say, I think these kids are just a lot of fun to watch. Uh, when they knock somebody down, you don't see somebody standing over somebody and pointing at them. You don't see a lot of trash talking. When you said about McSorley, you know, what do you want? A guy that's quiet, a leader, or a guy that sits there and, you know, I am the greatest kind of thing, and uh, late hits, um, even after the Ohio State game. I don't know if you watched some of that, but those players went after each other, specifically found each other, hugged each other. These these are opposing players that just played really hard, and, you know, they're shaking each other's hands. This isn't one of these mandatory where you get in a line and you have to shake the other guy's hand because you're made to. These guys, it seemed like they were looking for somebody on the other team to basically, you know, talk to them. They had their helmets off. They were talking to each other. It's just a lot. It's really what college football, I think, was supposed to be, instead of the trash talking and and some of the other things. But thanks a lot. Yeah, Gary, I agree with you as as far as being fun to watch. And, uh, Greg, you know, maybe that's the highest compliment that you can give a sports team is that they're fun to watch. The last couple of years, they weren't so fun to watch. If you And you were there every week watching them, but even as, as fans – that uh, there were times where like, okay, what are they doing here? And the game's not flowing. But I think that Gary is absolutely right that this team is fun to watch. Yeah, Gary nailed it. They have not been fun to watch for really the last two years, three years, you could maybe say. But they figured it out. And they weren't necessarily fun to watch in the first two weeks or three weeks of the season either. I mean, they it really took time for them to get everything in place. The defense had its injuries, but also had a new defensive coordinator. That took time to get sorted out. The offense had its issues with the new offensive coordinator. They're a fun team to watch now. They really are. They play with a, again, it's exciting to watch a team come back, and no matter what sport you watch, no matter what team you watch, and they always come back. So I think that has as much to do with it as anything. And that a lot of times has a lot to do with coaching as well. Yep. So let's talk about James Franklin. As we said, after that Michigan game, there were a lot of people in this state, and you know, Penn State fans, Penn State has one of the biggest alumni, maybe the biggest alumni bases around the country, calling for James Franklin to be fired. Uh, 
he was preaching patience. But you also, you know, and there were a lot of people saying that James Franklin, great recruiter, not a good coach on game day. What's turned around as far as Franklin goes? I think that, again, when you win a game like they did over Ohio State, when you beat an opponent of that caliber, it, it just changes, you know, the perception of everything, the perception of the offense, the perception of how things are going within the program, the perception of the head coach, the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator. So I, I think patience is still something that should be preached. This is still a young team. This is still a young coaching staff. So if they slip up somewhere down the road, we're hearing 10-2 and two pretty much endlessly now, and it certainly looks possible with the way the schedule sets up but if this team slips up and it could it's not an indictment of the coaching staff it's not something that the players you know necessarily they're, they're terrible all of a sudden or James Franklin is terrible all of a sudden it's just this is a young team still growing towards something better than what it should be right or what it is right now you know this team should as the years go on be better so I, I think that patience is still something that's needed within the fan base but certainly when you win a game like that it, it gives you a shot in the arm and it tells you that you know like we were talking about earlier you might be as good as some of these teams even though you maybe didn't think you were you know, something you just said is so true that uh, they are not all of a sudden world beaters mm-hmm. and uh, they are not going to be confused with the Michigans, the Alabamas, uh, the schools that are in the, in the top five. Yep. Um, so there is a possibility that uh, even though they will be favored these last four games, they can lose this week. Iowa is a good yep. football team. Michigan State's down this year, but Michigan State has been, you know, playing for national champion or, you know, a, a contender for national championships the last few years. So it's not exactly easy those two games in particular. Yeah, no, I mean those two teams are they're one. Look, if they if they were their normal selves, we wouldn't be talking about you know ten and two is the the most the, the most likely final record it'd probably be nine and three at best but those two teams are having down years Iowa's the trap game this weekend this Saturday at Beaver Stadium they're a really good team Penn State's really been playing with a lot of emotion of late they're gonna have to continue to carry that it's better that the game's at home but what it comes down to is that you know they are still a very good uh you know obviously Kirk Friends the head coach there has been there forever they, they have issues on the offensive line that's where Penn State's gonna have to try and win the game but again even if it loses there's still you know the fact that you know this team is growing towards something it's still young and it's going to slip up along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Pickle is one of the Penn State reporters for Penn Live and the Patriot News. Greg, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Scott. And uh, now we're uh, joined by WITF's uh, multimedia news director, Tim Lambert, one of those people who did give me a little bit of uh, pushback when I talked about a New Year's Day bowl. Uh-huh, but, uh, uh-huh. yeah, did you hear, Greg? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, right. You know, Pitt Penn State. That's all. Pitt guy. That's all you need to it's know. A, it's a, Pittsburgh guy, you know. That's all you need to know. They play. It's, oh, okay. It is I'd like it is. I'd like them to play today. Now that you've turned all of Central Pennsylvania against me, so thanks for ruining my credibility. <laughs> I appreciate that, Scott. I appreciate that. You think that I, I've done that? Huh? Yes. You think yes. that by uh, airing this publicly? Yes. <laughs> Well, what about the us Philadelphia Flyers fans who know that you're a, a, a Penguins fan? Well, that's different. Why is that different? Because that's a split fan base here. It's all Penn State, uh, correct? Not, not necessarily. Yeah. Look at the comments in on Penn Live. I mean, jeez. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the more important things, really. I yes, mean, in, in, absolutely. In the scope of things, uh, when we're talking about people who are uh, struggling. Uh, with hunger that is something that uh, you know it's nice football and entertainment sports is a nice diversion 
But this is something that people, there are people in central Pennsylvania dealing with every day. Yeah, absolutely. And today's the day that we do our one-day fundraiser, food raiser, as we're looking to fill a truck. Uh, thanks to Wegmans, who will be donating uh, one meal for uh, for contributions to WITF. And we're going to fill this truck with 17,000 uh, meals. And we're already on our way to about 5,000. We've reached 5,000 mark. So thanks to, to those who've contributed right now. But this is an easy way for you to help someone in need in central Pennsylvania, someone in your community that's struggling to make ends meet, to put food on the table, literally. So if you make a contribution of $25, you'll be able to put 10 meals on the tables of people across central Pennsylvania. For $100, that's 40 meals. $250 contribution, that's 100 meals you will provide to people in need in central Pennsylvania. And that is an impactful way to make a contribution to support your community right now. A $500 contribution, you'll see 200 meals go out to people in need in central Pennsylvania. So you can go to WITF.org or call 1-800-233-9483 or go online, like I said, to WITF.org. Making some terrific progress. We'd love to uh, get under the 11,000 meal mark uh, in the next couple of minutes or so, but it all starts with your contribution. And as as Tim mentioned, uh, you know, we have a a three-way partnership here at WITF, uh, Wegmans, and also the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank. The food is the most important part of it, but uh, you also are uh, helping WITF along the way. And if, uh, you know, Smart Talk program today, what you hear on Morning Edition, what you hear on uh, All Things Considered, the the programs throughout the the weekend and throughout the week, if those are things that uh, you appreciate, then uh, we'd like to hear from you as well. It's, you know, I think Jennifer Powell described it best. It's a win-win-win situation. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, when you look at the numbers from the Central Pennsylvania Food Bank, when 99% of the people they serve have a home, have an apartment, have a house or a townhouse, um, it's it's startling. So make that contribution and support those in need in Central Pennsylvania. That number once again? 1-800-233-9483. Tim Lambert, thank you very much for joining us today. John Krakauer, best-selling author, comes up tomorrow along with Congressman Lou Barletta.